0: NBC, the 1998 NBA Finals.
1: What is up, everybody? This is Jim Milak, and you're listening to Pod of Fame, the podcast where we break down former athletes and decide whether or not they should get a call to the hall. On today's podcast, we are talking about former MOB pitcher Kurt Schilling and whether or not he should get a call to Cooperstown. And joining us in just a second to break down Schilling's career is USA Today's sports reporter and Hall of Fame voter. Steve Gardner. But before we bring Steve on a few quick facts about Schilling, he played 22 major league seasons from 1988 to 2007. He had a 79.5 career war, collected over 216 career wins at 3.46 ERA threw 83 complete games, 20 shutouts and pitched over 3000 strikeouts. He was a six-time All-Star, three-time World Series champion, and won the 2001 World Series MVP. Now, Schilling never won a Cy Young Award, but he was runner-up three different times. He also won over 20 games three different times and had over 300 strikeouts in a season three different times. Schilling was also one of the best playoff pitchers of all time. His, his resume in the playoffs is, is pretty unmatched in history. He was 11-2 during his career and over across 133 innings, hit a 2.23 ERA, had 120 strikeouts, and pitched four complete games. And Steve and I will get into how great he was in the postseason in just a second. So that's Schilling's career in a nutshell. Uh, this is his ninth year on the ballot. Uh, he, he just missed the 75% threshold, uh, in 2020, and it'll be interesting to see what he gets in 2021. He's right there in the cusp, but, uh, there's, there's some reasons why, um, he hasn't got elected in yet. And again, Steve and I will get in that in just a second. So with the quick facts out of the way, let's bring on Steve. all right so returning to the podcast days, is usa today sports reporter and hall of fame voter steve gardner steve how you doing today welcome back
0: i'm doing great love the intro love uh <laughs> love being able to say that yes i am a hall of fame voter so uh looking forward to the discussion jim
1: yeah so you know we talked to steve back in august about jeff kent who's on the ballot um today and you know we are going to be talking about kurt schilling who is in his ninth year on the ballot but You know, before we get into any of that, a lot's happened since we've last talked, you have now physically got your first Hall of Fame ballot in the mail. So, uh, you know, Steve, before we get to talking about Kurt Schilling, I'm just kind of curious, you know, how how was that day when the ballot came in the mail physically getting your hands? How did that feel?
0: It was pretty good, I have to admit. And uh, it's something that has been uh, a goal of mine since I started covering baseball, and it's been a lot longer than just the 10 years of being a member of the BBWAA too. Um, back when, when I started covering baseball and going to games and, and that sort of thing, uh, internet writers were not considered uh, eligible for the BBWAA, so it's been a while to gain that acceptance, and then um, it does help working for USA Today. But uh, as we merged our print and and online resources, and I was able to get in, um, I've I've kind of had this day circled on my my long range calendar. So to have that actually in my hand from the Hall of Fame um, was a real special thing.
1: No, no, that's good to hear, and I'm I'm excited that you finally have that vote after all these years and then I got to ask you know we are recording this on Wednesday December 9th your ballot has to be in the mail by December 31st and some ballots are already surfacing that have been turned in about seven percent have been reported to the hall of fame tracker as to date like just curious Steve how, how's the ballot going right now What what's your plan are you going to wait till December 31st are you trying to get in before Christmas where, where you're at right now with your ballot
0: Well, um, in terms of uh, an analysis of who's on there and and who I'm voting for, I mean, this is something that I've been thinking about for a long time. Um, Last year, I've had 10 players on my virtual ballot. So I guess you could say I'm kind of a, a, a large hall kind of guy. Um but at this point, uh, with Derek Jeter and Larry Walker no longer on those uh, on the ballot, I've got room for two others um, if I keep everybody from from last year, which I plan on doing. And so that's kind of what I'm working on right now. I'm gonna I'm planning to sit down on Saturday and uh, and get my stamp out in my envelope and uh, and send it in. But um, in the meantime, the last uh, last few days before I really get down to it, um, I'm feeling pretty confident where I am and uh, we'll just see if anybody else can can work their way on to the end of that ballot.
1: And, and then, Steve, last question before we get into uh, the topic at hand today, you know, do, do you plan once you mail it in, do you plan to kind of send it over to the Hall of Fame tracker? Are you going to make your uh, ballot public?
0: Yeah, I, I I was wondering what we were doing as as a, an organization, and uh, generally, what USA Today does is just list all of um, all of our reporters and, and writers that have a Hall of Fame ballot after the deadline and as the uh, part of the run up to the announcement of the election. Um, but uh, it's sort of been I've sort of gotten the clearance to go ahead, and if I want to release it early, then I, I can. So I think I probably will once I put it in the mail and make everything official. I think I'll uh, let Ryan Thibodeau know and uh, or post it out on Twitter or social media or something like that. But um, yeah, I'm looking forward to that too and, and getting some feedback from people um, as to what they think about the
1: ballot. Yeah, well, that, that's super exciting. It seems like you got a, a busy Saturday ahead of you, which, <laughs> you know, is great in times like this when there's not too much we can all do on the weekends anyway. So mm. your time well spent this weekend. Uh, but let's, let's talk about the, the topic at hand today, which is someone who is on the ballot this year for his ninth year. So he's only got this year or next year or he's not getting in. And that's Kurt that's Schilling. And in 2019, he received 70% of the vote. So he's just 5% off. But as of this morning, when I last checked the, the Hall of Fame tracker with about 7% of the vote in right now, he's only trending at 62% of the vote, which again, barely any votes in, but he's trending below what he got last year. So it will be interesting to see if he makes it in this year or, or if not this year, then you know, next year in his final year. And, he, you know, as I was digging to him, a lot to talk about chilling. So let's jump into our first segment here. What comes to mind? Steve, when when you hear the name Curt Schilling, what, what's the first thing that's coming to your mind?
0: Well, the first thing I, I guess is somebody who was so good in the postseason. I mean, he was one of the best postseason pitchers in baseball history. I mean, you look at that record um, 11 and two in the postseason, 2.23 ERA, um, three World Series rings. I mean, when you look at his credentials just in the postseason, you've got to say that this is a guy who certainly does deserve to be in the hall of fame. And, and that's just, you know, in a, in the month of October, you know, what he did during the, the regular season during his career was impressive as well. And one of the things too, going back to uh, my fandom, one of the first things I also think about with Kurt Schilling is, oh, he was traded a couple of times earlier in his mm-hmm. career and one to my favorite team, the Baltimore Orioles, You know, got a pretty good deal. They got Brady Anderson and Kurt Schilling from the Red Sox for Mike Boddicker. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, and you know, pretty good. Hey, You're who
1: Mike Boddicker is, so that says enough there. <laughs>
0: yeah, um, Boddicker, I mean, for Orioles fans, he was a pretty good pitcher for a couple of years, but okay. um, not a bad trade there considering what um, you know, what Brady Anderson did for the Orioles yeah. and then what Schilling went on to do. But then the Orioles turned around and traded him in probably one of the worst trades in Orioles history where they got rid of Pete Harnish, Schilling, and Steve Finley. To trade for Glenn Davis with the Houston Astros, who basically hardly performed at all, he was injured for uh, for Baltimore, and, and that was the end of his career. So Kurt Schilling, you know, getting off to that rocky start from going from one team to another to another, um, and then eventually to Philadelphia before he you know turned 24, that's kind of a rocky start to his career, and it didn't start off you know that great. He had had a lot of bumps along the way at the beginning.
1: Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned he played for Baltimore, Houston, the game before he went to Philly. And the thing with Schilling, as I look through and playoff performance, I want to get to that a little bit later, dive a little deeper there. But, you know, he was the only he's the only player to win a World Series game for three different organizations. So, of course, he did that in Philadelphia in 93 in Zona when they won. And then in Boston, um, the two World Series they won. But, you know, he played three seasons in Baltimore, one for Houston, then nine for the Phillies, only four in Arizona, which I actually thought he pitched there longer when I was thinking <laughs> about it, and then four in Boston at the end of his career. You know, Steve, when when you think of Kurt Schilling, what team, like, immediately, what team do you think of him playing for? Because, like, <laughs> the whole, like, the, the hat, if he gets in, what hat he has on will be a debate, I think. But just for you, what, what do you think of, when you think of him immediately... Who's that team he's pitching for? What uniform does he have on?
0: I think when I think of Kurt Schilling at his best, um, I think of him as a Diamondback, to tell you the truth, you know, and and the World Series in 2001. Um, the year that he had in 2001 followed up with 2002. I mean, those were a 22-win season, a 23-win season, ERA right around three, and a ton of strikeouts, close to 300, um, you know, averaged each year finishing second in the Cy Young Award voting both of those years. Um, and yeah, he only was there in Arizona for, for those four, 2000 to 2003. Um, but I, I honestly, I, I do, I think of Kurt Schilling as an Arizona Diamondback, which, uh, which is kind of surprising considering all the time he spent in Philadelphia. But uh, just being in the spotlight, I think that kind of, uh, you know, comes to the forefront for me.
1: Yeah. What, well, you know, when I think of his Philly career, I just think of that's where he played the longest when I think at Arizona, I think that's when he peaked and then Boston though, you know, those two world series and Boston fans are Boston fans. And that was their first one in 2004 with him. I feel like they hold a special place, you know, in, in Curt Schilling's like story as well. So it, it is kind of like, I was thinking in history, how many players do you associate with three different teams that he made that big of an impact? And it's pretty few. Um, He is one of the rare people that really was dominant on three different teams, three different organizations. So that is super interesting about Schilling as well. Um, So, so Steve, moving on to our second mini segment here, that memorable moment. I feel like Schilling had a few throughout his career. And again, that memorable moment is just, you know, what was this player's hall of fame moment? And this could be a specific game, a playoff series, a stretch of time or even a whole season for Schilling. I feel like he had a few, what would you say his hall of fame moment was?
0: I, I think without question in my mind, it was the bloody sock. Uh, I mean, it's, it's one of those situations where maybe it was overblown to some degree. Um, you know, there, there's some conspiracy theorists out there, too, <laughs> that say that there wasn't anything to it, that it was just for show and that Schilling is the kind of guy who would do such a thing. But um, I, I don't see any reason uh, to doubt what was going on. Uh, I mean, you could see when he was on the mound that he was in pain. And, you know, in that playoff series with the Red Sox, um, you know, to have Kurt Schilling go out there, gut it out. And, you know, lead to the Red Sox finally winning a championship. I think that has to be his defining moment, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, he went seven innings there, let up one run. And if it was true, which I, I don't know if I believe I, I've heard things like it was a marker, but I heard that was a joke. And I know there's some controversy around that, but he goes seven innings, only lets up one run. And obviously in a lot of pain there. And that was after a lot of people forgot in game one of that series, he pitched, he got blown up. It was one of his right. actually only bad playoff starts. He left six runs in three innings. So to come back from that, be injured and go seven and left one in a game, they had to win against the Yankees to force that game. Seven, one of the most clutch performances of all time. And of course, one of the most famous, I mean, any highlight reel with Schilling, that's going to be the go-to highlight. Yep. Uh, the only other thing, Steve, I'd bring up, be- just because I think it's an all-time performance is his 2000, and you mentioned this a little earlier, his 2001 playoff run with the Diamondbacks. Mm-hmm. Um, if you really look at it, not just the World Series, but the whole run, it, it's pretty incredible. You know, first round, they're playing St. Louis. He throws two complete games and lets up one run over 18 innings. Yeah. Strikes out nine in both, both matches, of course, wins 2-0. Uh, championship series against Atlanta, goes 1-0, throws a complete game, 12K performance, lets up one run. And then he gets to the World Series. He starts three games there, goes over seven innings or at least seven innings in each of those games, Um, over three starts, 21 innings, 1.69 ERA. So over his 2001 playoff run, six starts, three complete games, over 48 innings, has a 1.12 ERA and never pitches less than seven innings in any game, never has less than eight Ks in any game. And lets up more than one run just once. Um, I don't like the only, honestly, in history, I was looking through it. I was mm-hmm. like, has there been a better run? And of course, it's hard to compare to people in the past because, you know, before there was expanded playoffs, they were just pitching in the World Series. You can't, you can't really put together that stretch. The only player I can think of is, is Madison Bumgarner right. in 2014. But outside of that, I think that is the best stretch of pitching in the playoffs in history. I mean, do do you disagree? Is there anyone else that comes to mind? as like a better playoff pitcher than Schilling.
0: I mean, off the top of my head, John Smoltz had some fantastic, uh, playoff stats. I don't know if, if, you know, one of those series or one of those seasons might have come close to this, but yeah, the first guy that I thought of was Madison Bumgarner. And, um, It was, it was just an amazing run for him starting game one of that world series, you know, out dueling Mike Messina, which was no, uh, uh, no easy task Mm -hmm. Um, in in game four coming in. uh, He was in line to win game four until uh Byung-hun Kim gave up the the home run to Tino Martinez and then in the ninth, and then Derek Jeter in the 10th so he was he was there to win that one and then in game 7 he was the starter as you said you know went 7 innings um did give up a uh, home run to Alfonso Soriano I think it was and it was the go ahead home run there but then the Diamondbacks had Randy Johnson come in put out the fire and uh had uh Luis Gonzalez play the hero in the bottom of the night so mm-hmm they, they want it there. And he and Randy Johnson were co-MVPs of that world series, but yeah, for one guy in, in one playoff season, um, he's got to be close to the top of the list.
1: Yeah. It's crazy, right? He, that one, two punch. I always think back Randy Johnson and Curt Schilling back to back. Mm. One of the most fearsome back to back, I think you could put together and you know, that kind of hurt Schilling a little bit in terms of how he was recognized because when you're, you're next to Randy Johnson. I mean, you talked about, he finished second to Cy Young twice on Arizona. It was second to Randy Johnson both times. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it was just almost um, cause that, I think that's a knock against Kurt Schilling. Someone will say, you know, he never won a Cy Young. Well, he, he was winning 23 games in a year and he, and he was having 300 strikeouts and he wasn't winning cause Randy Johnson was there winning 24. So how much can you knock the guy? Um, so, I mean, that one two punch, it, it's one of the best of all time. And um, I could not imagine being a batter having to face Randy Johnson one night and then having to face Kurt Schilling the next. That's um, <laughs> not oh. a good situation for batters there. But Steve, kind of go into our last mini segment here before we go to the case for, case against. Uh, we call this and twins. Ah, no! Quarterbacks eating pom poms and short skirts, fans. And again, what this is is who in the Hall of Fame today do you think best resembles Kurt Schilling in terms of either you know what his career looked like or just how he pitched?
0: That's that's a great question. I mean, again, I sort of come back to to maybe John Smoltz a little okay. bit. Um, I mean, I don't really know that the, you know their their arsenals were. Were comparable. Um, I don't know that uh, that they were, but again, they they both struck out a lot of guys. Um, you know, they both had hard stuff, um, breaking balls, and were you know had had a great staff uh, alongside them. Um, of course, Schilling did not go into the uh, closer business, but um, but he and Smoltz both lengthy careers, um, and uh, both ended up with the Red Sox uh, yeah. at some point, um, but I, I don't know. I, I think just uh, the longevity for him is what um, what's really impressive, and as you said, you know, made his mark with three different teams. The, the only other pitcher I can think of right off the top of my head that did that was Tom Seaver, yeah. and, um, you know, again, another power pitcher, a guy who was very durable, um, and uh, was was able to strike guys out with several different pitches. Um, that, you know, maybe that's a, a bit of a comparison there too.
1: Yeah. So I, I kind of have a couple people down that pitch during the same time as Schilling. And I kind of want to get your take on how, how you right. think they compare. I have, you know, Mike Musina in um, down here who, you know, who was elected in the Hall of Fame his sixth try on the ballot. And then, of course, Rory Holiday, who was elected in 2019, first that's year on the good. ballot. If you look at their numbers, uh extremely comparable, you know, Musina was a guy I always think and Holiday actually, who would go deep into games. They were mm-hmm. innings eaters, um, strike out a fair amount of people, were were, I mean, holiday didn't really have postseason success, but Musina pitched in a bunch of big games too. Both had a number of complete games, which of course in today's MOB is super rare. It's fun to look back and see that these pitchers still went the distance but when you're stacking up like a Mussina, a Holiday, a Schilling, all played around the same time period, we're facing the same types of hitters. How do you think Schilling stacks up against those two?
0: Yeah, I think certainly from from a baseball standpoint, you have to say that he is is their equal. And, you know, in some respects, um, maybe even a little bit bit better than those two guys uh it's it's really close and the, and the thing that you point out too is that pitchers are being used differently now you don't have guys Halliday, i think may have been the last um or maybe another uh, guy who's on the the ballot this year for the first time mark burley yes. of those guys who you could count on to give you seven eight innings you know can, could pitch a complete game if needed um, and those guys are kind of becoming dinosaurs certainly in the game today and um, so for yeah for work, ho- the workhorse kind of starters they they don't uh, come much better than the likes of Kurt Schilling and Mike Messina you know uh, and Roy Halliday those those guys would go out there and and didn't want to come out uh even if, uh, even if you had the reliever warming in the bullpen and the manager's on his way to the mound, that's another trait too. All three of those guys just did not want to come out of the ballgame.
1: Yeah, and, and Mussina, you know, he got in his sixth year on the ballot, but there was a lot of discussion when he was on if he was a Hall of Fame pitcher because he had a, a very long career. He accumulated stats over time, but um, I think there were some people that pushed back, you know, never won a Cy Young. He was never this dominant pitcher we talked about. If you would have had a vote when Mussina was on the bout, would Mussina have gotten your vote?
0: Well, and you're, you're asking a guy who's an Orioles fan and remember <laughs> uh, how great he was back yes. from Baltimore in those years. Absolutely. Um, yep. Absolutely. And again, you know, he didn't he didn't win 20 games until his last season yeah. in the big leagues. And that was kind of like the knock against him all the way to the end. But no, you talk about big game pitcher. I mean, he's had some, some phenomenal big games late in the season, um, playoff, uh, playoff wins. So, yeah, I, I think Mike Messina, without question, is a Hall of Famer in my book. And uh, I would have voted for him had I been uh, able to.
1: Yeah, and Moose had an excellent career. I didn't think it should have been his – I think he should have gotten the first couple of years in the ballot. I can't remember who he was up against, but his, his resume um, – is is a hall of fame resume and i it.
0: think yeah and i think that he was probably one of the victims of the crowded ballot um, yeah. and so many names on there uh so many great players that people just sort of said oh, okay well i'll i'll check him out next time maybe
1: yeah so steve going to our final segment here uh this is court you want answers i think i'm entitled you them. want answers i want the truth you can't handle the truth so it's really just case for, case against. We can kind of go back and forth here on why Schilling should or shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. And, you know, the, the one of the things I want to talk about, I want to talk a little more about the postseason and what he did there, but we've covered that a bit. I want to talk about him as just a, a pitcher, um, mm-hmm. because I think people don't always realize, you know, he had overpowering stuff. You know, his fastball was, you know, between, I would say, 94 and 98 miles per hour. He was always kind of creeping up near 100 Um, He had an excellent splitter, which would just kind of drop on on, on batters. But his ability to have both overpowering stuff yet walk so few batters is almost like an unmatched in history if you really look at it. And I think that gets kind of lost in the shuffle. I mean, what do you remember about Schilling's overall arsenal, his ability as a pitcher, and and then both the sheer power and control he had? I mean, there hasn't been many pitchers like him that had – that combination of both. I mean, what do you think of him as just an overall pitcher in his style?
0: Yeah. Fantastic. And and you hit, it. I think that was the biggest thing is that we hadn't seen or haven't seen many of those strikeout heavy pitchers. I mean, he led the NL in strikeouts in 97 and 98 um, and had over 3000 strikeouts in his career and mm-hmm. uh, you know, 15th on the all-time list. But what, what it was most amazing about it is the control and um, the I, I, one of the stats that I look at is um, a strikeout to walk ratio. Yes. And when you put Kurt Schilling's um, ranks and his career numbers, he led the league in from 2001 to 2006. So that's six seasons there. He led the league in strikeout to walk ratio for starting pitchers. Five of those six seasons. I mean, and that is just to me. If you want one stat that sums up what Kurt Schilling was as a pitcher in the regular season, that's it right there.
1: Yeah, I have some. So I dug pretty deep into that, Steve, because mm-hmm. some of the numbers are actually they're hard to believe. They, they honestly are. So, yeah. so in two thousand two, his as you were just saying, his strikeout to walk ratio was 9.57, okay? I'm going to put some context around this in a second because I know some people listening at home, that doesn't mean anything to you right now. So that's 316 strikeouts that year to 33 walks, okay? I want to put that in context. So 9.57 strikeouts to walks. In 2004, he also led the league in strikeouts to walks with a 5.8. So he led the league with 5.8 in 2004, And in 2002, he had a 9.57. I mean, that is incredible. And on top of what you were saying, yeah, he, in 10 seasons of his career, he was top 10 in strikeouts per nine innings. He was top 10, uh, he had seven, I'm sorry, 10 seasons, top 10 in walks per nine innings. He had over 300 strikeouts three different times. And he's one of only four pitchers in history to have back to back 300 strikeout seasons. The others are Randy Johnson, Nolan. Ryan and Sandy Koufax, all, all Hall of Famers first bout. So, I mean, the, the rare company he holds in this, I, I mean, you could say he's the best in terms of that combination. Like, it's very rare. And, and again, if you look all time, his ratio is, is 4.38 across his career, which is second all time if you talk about players that are retired today. There's some active pitchers, like I think Chris Sale's number one right now. But active like of all time retired people he's number two but the guy ahead of him I don't know if you really want to count his name's Tommy Bond I had never heard of him yeah. he retired he retired in 1884 <laughs> and he had 972 strikeouts so again as you point out Schilling had over 3,000 strikeouts and if you think of some of the best pitchers of all time like even Pedro's behind him 4.15 Mariano Rivera is behind him 4.1 like Schilling really is. The greatest in terms of strikeout to walk ratio, which I don't think I don't see it getting brought up as much as maybe it should be in the conversation. And I think it's super important to show how dominant and how in control of each game he was. Yeah. And and I think
0: the other thing, too, is, you know, his career didn't really get going until. You know, he joined the Phillies and you know he was a, he was a reliever for a couple of years with the Orioles you know and, and so he didn't really get you look at the the career totals and the win totals you know just 216 which is which is fantastic especially considering what we're going to see for career totals going forward for pitchers that are active now but um yeah he, he really didn't kick it it was never an all-star until he was in his age yeah. 30 season in 1997 so you know then he sort of kicked it in and became the Kurt Schilling that we all know.
1: And that the moment that's kind of very similar to our conversation about Jeff Kent, right? He right, came exactly. on very much later in his career. So same type of deal last time we talked. So the other thing I want to talk about here, case, case four is what, what I've been doing lately on a, a lot of the, we've been covering, we've been trying to cover every single person on the ballot um so far. And what we're trying to do on a lot of these um, episodes is, Try to talk about who you know who is playing during that time and, and where he groups in. We talked about that a little bit with Musina and Holiday, but I tried to group in all those players that pitched through the '90s and the 2000s, and how Schilling kind of fits. And I kind of broke it up into three tiers here, and I, I want to see where you think Schilling fits. So, okay. tier tier one, it's just like, and as I was looking through this, Steve, I was like, wow, we had a great 20 years of pitching here. Um, tier one is just all time greats. So. Randy Johnson, Greg Maddox, Pedro, and then say what you want about Roger Clemens and steroids. Roger Clemens is not that kind of first tier for me. Then I have this second tier that's great players. I mean, these are Hall of Fame players, but just not all timers. And I have like Tom Glavin and Mike Mussina, John Smoltz. They're, they're kind of in that middle tier. And then I think there's a slight drop off. Again, these are great players, but maybe not. They're not automatic Hall of Famers. They're not Hall of Famers. You got the Santana's the, the Wells, David Wells, Kevin Brown, Andy Pettit, Mark Burley, Tim Hudson, those types of guys. So I kind of broke them up into those three tiers. I Holiday played a little later. So I didn't include him in this, but if I had uh-huh. to include holiday, he'd be in that middle tier. So, you know, I, I don't think, I don't think Schilling is in that all time tier with the Randy Johnson's the Maddox, the Martinez's. I just don't think of him about it like that, but I do think he fits right in there with the, the Glavins, the Mussinas, the, um, Schmoltzes. I don't think he's in that third tier. I mean, where do you seem fitting in there? Where do, where do you see him slotting in among those different tiers of pitchers during that air?
0: Yeah, I, I see him in that tier as well as, as you do. And, and maybe, you know, maybe Kevin Brown moves a little bit above the line too. I mean, Kevin Brown was a really good pitcher and I'm sure, uh, that's, that's a conversation for another day, but, um, yeah, I think you have to have Curt Schilling in that group. I mean, those guys were his peers. Those were the guys that, uh, you know, he was competing with for the the strikeout titles and, and for playoff berths and and World Series uh, opportunities. So, yeah, maybe not, certainly not an elite Hall of Famer, um, not with Roger Clemens, you know, in terms of the numbers that, that he put up throughout his entire career. But um, certainly in that, for me above the hall of fame line, um, with that group, with, with Halliday and Smoltz and Messina.
1: Yeah. So, so see, we've been focusing a lot on all, all the pros and honestly, anyone listening right now, they'd be like, well, how is this guy not in the <laughs> hall of fame yet? Um, he's on his ninth. I, I told, I was talking to someone the other day and I was like, yeah, it's his ninth year in the bout. They're like, he's been in the ballot nine years and he hasn't got in yet. So, so we got to talk about what, what, it, what is holding, Kurt Schilling back here. Like, um, I, first of all, I think we're going to get into the character stuff maybe a little bit because that is part of the Hall of Fame voting process. But before we get into maybe some of that stuff, is there anything anything on the playing field itself that you you think is really or you hear in your circles is big knocks on his career? I, I mean, maybe people can point at the the win total, but I think voters are getting past that nowadays. Is the holidays getting in with just over 200 votes. Pedro got in with no problem with 219 wins, you know, shillings just a few wins below that outside of maybe that. Is there any other major red flags on his actual, just performance wise resume that's, that's giving people pause.
0: I mean, I I don't really think so. Other than, as as you mentioned, you know, 216 wins is, is certainly not up there with the, uh, you know, the 300 used to be the magic number. Um, which I don't think we'll see again, maybe ever. Um, uh, but you know, the career ERA, 3.46. Um, you know, that doesn't jump off the page. It doesn't, it doesn't uh, you know, compare with with what Clayton Kershaw has been able to do. But then again, you look at, you know, in context, he pitched, you know, at the, the peak of his career was right around that nine. 19- eight ninety-nine, you know, the, the 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 explosion in home runs. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't really know that even you could you could hold that against him. I mean those those numbers he's got the, the peak he's got the longevity he's got the postseason resume um, seems like a pretty solid case for him as a player on the field.
1: Yes but but of course we we know um, there is there's a lot off the field that is probably holding them back, and you know when you're when you're looking at. And I don't know, Steve, when they give you the ballot, if they include like the criteria for voting, or if it's talk like communicate to you another way. Please let me know if it is. But you know, if you look at at least the website or you're you're talking to Hall of Fame voters, they always talk about you know it's it's about the player's record on the field, their ability, but then there's also clauses like integrity, sportsmanship, character, that are supposed to go into your your thinking process as you're voting, your voting process here. And obviously Schilling during his career had some issues with, with teammates and characters. I know in Philly kind of forced his way out of there. He had some problems with Mitch Williams. He had some problems with other teammates. I think every stop he had. And then since he's retired, I think he's heard his case even more with things that have gone on in the media, things he's tweeted, things he said, he got fired from ESPN. There's a whole, laundry list of things mm-hmm. so you know as a member of the media I know he's attacked you all quite a bit I, I guess first of all how much do you take into account integrity sportsmanship character as you're going down your bout, as you're looking at people and then hope you know talk to me a little bit about how you feel as a member of the media when Kurt Schilling is attacking you a lot you know <laughs> in, in, <laughs> I guess on, on Twitter in the news all that
0: yeah, it it doesn't feel good, um, and you you know there are so many things not to like about him personally. Um, I, I look at you know as as you were mentioning, it's there spelled out in the Hall of Fame voting instructions. You know the, the player, um, it, it's it's meant to be uh, based on, and I'll look at it right here. As you said, the player player's record, playing ability integrity, sportsmanship, character, and contributions to the teams on which the player played. To me, that says it's based on what you do as an active player. And you know while there are some um, concerns about uh, uh, you know, the way that, that that he interacted and was he a good teammate, by and large, I mean while there were some conflicts, most players that played with kurt schilling were very happy to play with kurt schilling because he was that good and um so to me it's you have to compartmentalize these things and for me the character clause is something that it's during the player's career it's not Mm -hmm. post career and i think a lot of people and I can understand this point of view 100%. You don't wanna have somebody who's going to besmirch the reputation of the Hall of Fame. You know, mm-hmm. Pete Rose is not on the ballot mm-hmm. because of the gambling issue that besmirches the game of baseball and the Hall of Fame. And I can understand that 100%. Kurt Schilling may not be the best ambassador for the Hall of Fame and for baseball. Um, he may, you know, goodness knows if he gets up there to make his acceptance speech, if he gets in, what could he possibly, you know, he could say any number of things. He could go all crazy, uh, you know, and with guns blazing and do a a number of damaging things. Um, But to me, you know, the character clause is something that is in there. The way that I read it, it's a way to take a player who maybe his contributions can't be measured in the box score or can't be measured in, how his team did or something like that. You know, it's a way to say there are great players who deserve to be in the hall of fame who maybe didn't accomplish as much as other players. So to me, that character clause and all of those things that were listed are more of a way to boost a person's candidacy than it is to be a disqualifier. And because of the character clause, I don't feel like that that is an automatic DQ for somebody because their character is not great or desirable or even in some cases acceptable. So yes, what Kurt Schilling has done since he's retired as a player um, have been horrific. Some of them have been. I mean, he's been he's had a, a lot of public statements that he has not backed down from that have been anti-Muslim, anti lbgtq you know, all of these things, but. As we look at players and their candidacies, I, I, I've heard a lot of uh, of people talk about, you know, when a player has been retired, you know, and is gaining in the Hall of Fame balloting, it's like, well, they didn't suddenly get better, you know, because they never played, you know, they didn't, they weren't playing. Um, I, I think that's, Kurt Schilling didn't automatically get worse um, over the course of his uh, post career uh, activities. So. That's how, you know, to make a, a long story, even longer. That's how I'm looking at the negatives for Kurt Schilling. And there are many, but in terms of, you know, character and all of that, I don't think it's enough to outweigh what he did as a player.
1: Yeah. And and I'm glad you kind of mentioned, it was about when he was actually on the field because most of this stuff has happened since he's retired and, I read it the same way you did that it's when you're playing. Now, if he was doing all that when he's playing, maybe that's a different story, but a lot of it's been since he retired. And what I was actually not well, a little shocked, surprised, I guess, to see is when he was playing, he won a bunch of off the field awards for giving back to charity, mm-hmm. and being a good teammate. Like he won a number of different awards while he was playing that made him look like a pretty stand up guy. But of course, since he's left the game, he could not be any worse off the field in terms of how he's perceived by by everyone pretty much in general. I know when he made that statement um in 2016, he it was something about like a, a rope tree journalist right. assembly required shirt. Um his his hall of fame voting dropped like a bit that year and then and then went back up a year later. I guess people uh people forgot about it a year later. But you know, you're separating it. From you know when he played to now, you're summarizing. You said, would you say most voters are are doing that, or do you think a lot of voters are getting caught up as they're seeing it one and the same? It doesn't matter. It's after he's playing; they're holding him accountable now for what he's doing after his playing days are over.
0: Yeah, uh, this this is one of the hardest things because I mean, as a Hall of Fame voter you know, you can make a statement with your ballot. Mm-hmm. And and I wonder, it's possible, um, and we have had certainly instances where, you know, players um, have not received votes from particular sports writers because of the way that they treated the sports writer. You know, th- there have been personal issues that have certainly been part of this uh, balloting throughout the years. I mean, we just look at, at, at somebody who passed away um, just this past week, dick allen was a fantastic player when you look at the stats you look at him you know maybe we look at him in in a similar way as we look at kurt schilling how did this guy not get in he was fantastic but yet player you know the the sports writers um you know he was dick allen was very vocal he didn't take a lot of crap from anybody and um some sports writers didn't like that, and certainly a lot of fans uh, reacted negatively as well, um, out of ignorance or whatever, but uh, maybe out of racism. But again, it, it's one of those things where you can make a statement with your ballot, and uh, you know it took Jim Rice a long time to get in. He was not a favorite of sports writers, so I, I think that getting around to Kurt Schilling, this may be one way for sports writers, voters to say, this behavior is not acceptable. You know, we do not want you representing baseball Mm -hmm. and you don't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame with players of the caliber of, you know, all of those who have gone in before. And, uh, you know, I think that that bleeds into some of the other players also on the ballot. Uh, But in terms of Schilling, maybe this is maybe the most visible way to say, you know we rebuke what you stand for and you're not going to get that opportunity to be uh to receive this highest of all baseball honors
1: yeah and and steve one last question before I go to final verdict here to see where you stand on voting form uh have you over your career do you ever have any personal interactions with Schilling, or ever, ever talk to him
0: um, you know, I I covered the the World Series with the Red Sox, and uh, I I don't know that other than just in the the large mass interview sessions and and uh, clubhouse situations that I really had any one-on-one interaction with him. So I can't really say mm-hmm. that um that he was you know uh, uh, you know our relationship was either a positive or a negative.
1: Okay. So, so going to final verdict, uh, Steve, so again, this is where one, I want to kind of know, you know, where you stand. Do you think Kurt Schilling should get in the hall of fame? Would you vote for him? And you have a vote, so you have the power to do so. Not all of our um, guests always have a vote, uh, so you actually do. And then two, uh, do you think at the end of the day, you know, either this year, which he's not trending well right now or by next year. Do you think he'll actually get into the Hall of Fame? So kind of two questions for you here.
0: Well, I think taking everything into consideration, and again, you know, the, the Hall of Fame is a, it's a museum. Um, it is for the greatest players in baseball history. And Kurt Schilling is definitely a part of baseball history. Um, has some huge moments, um, some outstanding seasons. Uh, he, he's accomplished a tremendous amount over a long period of time as a major league player, and so yeah, as as I'm focusing on what um, you know his qualifications are, uh, I th- I think Kurt Schilling does deserve to get in, and I've wrestled with it an awful lot since receiving that ballot in the mail and seeing some <laughs> of the things that that you know honestly people that I do respect whose opinions I do respect um, you know say things on on both sides of the issue. Um, it's a difficult decision. I thought it was an easy one, um, a year ago at this time. And mm-hmm. now when I have a ballot in my hands, it's a lot more difficult, but, um, just from the, the things that, that we've talked about earlier about it, it looking and focusing at what he did during his baseball career. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm in the Schilling, you know, I'm, I'm going to put that check mark beside Kurt Schilling's name.
1: All right. And then do you actually think he'll get in? Do you think he'll get in this year or by next year?
0: All right. With with 70% of the electorate last year voting for him, mm-hmm. um, I think, and being his ninth year on the ballot, so we'll have one more after this. You know, we did see Larry Walker last year get in on his 10th and final time on the ballot. I think Kurt Schilling is going to get very close. And I don't know. I think he's going to be in that maybe... 70 plus percent range, and if I had to think about it right now, and just seeing you know the early results that you talked about, I think it's going to be really close. And and if anybody is on the fence, they may lean toward waiting one more year to put him in. So I'll say he falls like right at that 74.2 uh, percent vote total this time.
1: So we're going to be talking. I'm going to have to resurface this pod next year when he's up again, and we'll be talking about it. Because I, I, that's, It would not
0: surprise me. <laughs> Let me put it that way, Jim.
1: So, so, so Steve, with, with that, before I kind of give my little spiel here, do you, um, do you think no one's going to get in this year then? Because uh, most people thought if anyone gets voted in this year, it would be shilling. Um, and right now, no one is tracking to get in. Do you think this is a year no one gets voted in?
0: I think it could very well be, um, you know, with with bonds and Clemens, the next highest returning uh, vote percentages, um, and you know that wouldn't be too bad either, yeah. because we still have last year's inductees exactly. haven't they haven't had their day in the sun yet? So, it may not be, you know, that may be part of the calculation possibly that some people uh, may have um, that we're going to have Derek Jeter and Larry Walker, let them have their day. And we'll, you know, take everything up next year in in 2022.
1: No, it does kind of work out. I don't, I haven't said the words, something's worked out perfectly because of what's going on in the world, but that does, if no one gets voted, there is an induction ceremony still next year that can happen with Jeter and Larry Walker. You know, Larry Walker had to wait another year to actually have his day, but he finally will. Um, You know, real quickly, I... I kind of agree with you here. I, I I think Schilling should get in his on the field performance, and you know when we talk about some of the great players he pitched, like he was pitching against, he, he's right there with everyone else who's already in the Hall of Fame. And, and again, I think he's one of the top two, three best postseason pitchers of all time, which really means something. So I do think he should be voting in the Hall of Fame. If I had to vote, I would vote him in. Will he get in? I'm I'm kind of with you here. I. I originally thought he was going to get in this year, but the chatter I've heard so far is not very positive. He definitely hasn't tried to help his case anymore this year. I haven't seen any big push to get him in this year. And I think if, if he doesn't get in this year, next, like this was the year to get in um, because no new big names came on the ballot this year. I mean, the best players to come on were I would say Mark Burley, Tim Hudson, really Tori Hunter, So this should have been his year. Next year, there's some bigger names coming on the ballot. It's going to get a little more crowded. If he doesn't get in this year, I don't think he gets in next year. So I think he might not get in, which again, if you asked me this six months ago, I would have said he's getting in this year. But the more I'm hearing now, the more I'm seeing the trend, he might not get in the Hall of Fame and he'll immediately become one of the best players not in the Hall of Fame. So that that's kind of where I stand. I don't think he gets in.
0: Yeah, We're, I mean, see, you think about the the climate, the the political climate that mm-hmm. we have. Uh, you know, things have been turned upside down over the the course of the past year, and where things are so much more, you know, black and white. Uh, it's it's one way or the other, my way or their way. You know, enemy, friend. Um, it seems like that might tend to. Push a, a ridge, maybe even greater, between the pro-Shilling and the anti-Shilling. There, you won't see a whole lot of people who are on the fence, um, and that's kind of a phenomenon I think may have seeped into this over the past uh, over the past year or so. Because you know, like you said, a, a year ago, I, I was I wasn't even thinking personally that there was any doubt that I was going to vote for Kurt Schilling, but now thinking about all the other things, you know, that, that are uh, factors in the world today, you know, it's, it's a lot more difficult decision.
1: Yeah, no, I, I really haven't even thought about it. Like from that side, that, that makes perfect sense. And that probably may will hurt him and we'll see if he drops. And again, if he, if he doesn't get over 70% this year, if he goes down, then there's no way he makes it next year. I said, I don't think there's going to be enough minds changing between, between now and next year. So, um, we will see uh, very very soon um, and, and Steve, I, I want to thank you for for joining again today. R- really enjoyed talking about Kurt Schilling. It will be super interesting see what ends up happening. I'm excited to see what your ballot ends up looking like um, when it does go up uh, on the Hall of Fame tracker I'm sure I'll be seeing it on Twitter and everyone can go check that out once Steve finally, um, sends that in, and now you know, Steve. This will every year you have a ballot now, so this is just the first of many ballots. But I'm, I'm sure you're always remember your first, so I'm super excited for you.
0: No doubt, and uh, thank you, Jim. And, and it's been really helpful to to discuss a lot of these guys, you know, with you and some of the considerations about pros and cons and and how to weigh things. So uh, I appreciate the opportunity, and uh, yeah, I'm look forward looking forward to uh, putting the stamp on that baby and putting it in the mail.
1: Yeah, and. For those of you listening, you know if if you want to check out Steve, follow, follow him on Twitter. He has a lot of great fantasy advice. Honestly, for for both Steve, you cover football and baseball for fantasy. Yep,
0: yeah, uh, it's it's football season, and so that's all uh, I see
1: on your Twitter. So I I, I figured you did baseball too. But
0: yep, yep, um, I've been doing baseball a lot longer. Um, but uh, you know, football drives the bus, and uh, so we we need to uh, cater to all of those fans out there. But uh, once once baseball season gets going, um, it's, it's going to pretty much turn that Twitter account uh, over to baseball full-time.
1: So yeah, check out Steve's Twitter for any fancy football advice. I know playoffs are coming up now, so it's super important. Um, follow him there, read him on USA Today. And, and again, Steve, thank you very much for joining. Excite for your first Hall of Fame bow. And I look forward to seeing it. Thanks so much, Jim. This has been great. All right. Take it easy. All right. So um, I want to thank Steve again for joining today. Had a lot of fun breaking down Schilling's career and talking through that with him. It'll be very interesting to see what Steve's ballot looks like when it when it does come out as of you know today. And as we talked, he, he was still working on it. And the deadline is the 31st. So um, it will be coming out sooner rather than later. Um, Thank you all for joining. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast, leave us a rating, a review. Um, The more more we have, the the better visibility we get. So thank you all for leaving them. And if you haven't yet, please do. Uh, Next Monday, I will actually be dropping a basketball episode because if you can believe it, the NBA season is starting back up. So um, I know there's been a lot of baseball coverage lately. It's because uh, the baseball ballot's out now, and it's due at the end of the year, uh, but we will be taking a, a break from ba- baseball for a week, going into basketball. So check in next week for a basketball episode. Thank you again for joining, and uh, we will see you again next Monday.